Every man's way is right in his own eyes, right? Matter of fact, hold your spot, Matthew 16. Turn to um, Proverbs 16, 2. Proverbs 16, 2. Proverbs 16, 2. And there's another one that says pretty much the same thing. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirits. Or, another word would be, the Lord weighs the motives. The motives. Why a man does what he does. Now to us, in the natural, when we operate in the natural, Everything we do, we think is pure. That's just a common thing. That's a natural thing. That's how man thinks. That's the um, how humanity functions. That's why we have conflicts with people. Because one man thinks his way is pure and another man thinks his way is pure. And when you question a man about what his motives or his purity in it, he kind of gets then defensive on it. So every way to a man is pure in his own eyes. What's some of the other translations? How does it read? Anybody got another translation? What does your translation read, Steph? People may be what? Okay. People may be pure. That that one phrase in there, in their own eyes, is is the the catch-all. Your translation: Every way is clean. And, and things that are clean are what? Pure. So a man, to, to, every, to every one of us, as far as humanity speaking, we think our ways are clean. We think our ways are pure. That's one of the challenges that we face when we engage people in our community or in our culture for the sake of Christ. And their eyes, they don't think that they have a problem. Because in their own way of thinking, they think their way's clean. Their motives are way. What's another translation? What do you have, Aunt Faye? You got your King James tonight? Okay, so you're always clean. What about the NIV? What you using, Mama Rob? ESV, what does it say? Any other translations? You looking up something, Steph? If it'll do it. All right, while she's looking that up, turn to Proverbs 21-2. 21-2, I believe it is. Just, just any. Just read a couple of them. Share how it reads. What's Proverbs 21-2 say? Every way of a man is right. In his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Every way of a man is right. There's that key, that key clause in his own eyes. So we can see that everybody from their perspective thinks their way is right. They think their way is pure. They think their way is clean. But, but the Lord weighs every motive. Weighs every spirit, weighs the heart. That's why it's so important for us to have a have a standard outside of us. Because we know that all our ways are not right. Are you with me? Now, I didn't know that until I come into the kingdom. And even if I'm operating in the flesh, I still think my way is the right way. 
And it may not be the right way, but in my own eyes, the way I see it is the idea. And remember what we was reading in the Gospels when Jesus said that the eye is the lamp to the body. And if your eye be dark, how dark is the inside, is the idea. The idea is this, is that if your light is dark, how great is your darkness? The the, the eye is the point of sight, but our heart is the point of vision. We see things through the heart. And therefore, that's why everybody thinks their way is the right way. How how many in here can honestly say that that's that's not you? You you're the abnormal one. And if we as a survey your wife or your husband, they're going to tell you that, hey, you're always right. Are you with me? Our crew, they mess with me at times. What did they say? That I got, they gave me a coffee cup one day. What did what, it say? Yeah. They were messing with me. You know what I mean? That's just humanity. That's who we are. It's right in their own eyes. Now, we have to approach people that way. People on the job, people in the community, people in the church, we understand the human psyche of man, the way we think, is that our way is right. But we understand that the Lord knows whether it's right or wrong. And that's why we need an outside source of the word to help us interpret. What is Proverbs 4.23? Look in Proverbs 4.23. What does it say? I think the King James would say, guard your heart. The New King James says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of the heart springs what? All the issues of life. So what is that simply saying? That everything about a person is filtered through the heart. Everything's filtered through the heart. So if your heart filters everything, and your heart feels like everything you do and think is right, and pure and clean, that's just an automatic setup for failure, isn't it? Just a given. And the only way to guard our heart and to keep our heart is that we got to have help from the Lord. That's why he tells us also in other passages, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon how you understand things, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll make sure your paths are clear and straight for you. He'll set it out for you. Why? Because if you don't do that, you're going to lean on your own heart and you're going to filter things through it. And when you do, it's, it's, it's going to be right to you, but it's only going to seem right to you. It may not actually be right. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me in other places. Look in Proverbs fourteen twelve. I think it is. And Stephanie is going to read that passage to us. What's the, you, you couldn't get it up? Say the same thing. Okay. What does fourteen twelve say? Proverbs fourteen twelve says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end, the direction it's headed, because it started out. If it's headed that way, I mean, it, its beginnings were wrong." You can't be headed in the right direction and end in the wrong place. I mean, that's a given, right? You can't be headed in the right direction and end up in the wrong place. So if, if, if you end up in the wrong place, the starting point was wrong. 
And that's what he's saying. Every way to a man is right in his own eyes. There's a way that seems right, but the end of that course leads to death. And we can't just settle for what seems right. We need to settle on what is right. And the only way to do that is we've got to know what God says about things. And that's why it's important for us to know that. Why? Because as I shared with you this morning and other illustrations, we use this turkey decoy as a visual aid as it compares to hunting turkeys when you use a decoy and using calls and you you are hidden in the woods you're playing no different than the devil you're acting like the devil turkey hunting is acting like the devil it's deceptive it's to lure in that bird so that you can take his life and you want him to never even know you was in the world that's deceptive that's what turkey hunting is that's how you kill smart birds who know how to overcome who who are who God put fear in creatures the fear of man for their own good so we got to trick them and you trick them by using things like this to bring them in to think that it's all good and this girl's interested in him and he's interested in her they talk back and forth to one another problem is this girl's never done the talking who was doing the talking me hidden off in the woods, Greg or Brandon, whoever else is hunting is hidden off in the woods doing all the talking, but he thinks this is talking. Very dissimilar what we've seen with Peter this morning in Matthew 16. Who was doing the talking? Satan was doing the talking. Peter was the decoy. Remember what Jesus told him? Get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but you're, you're mindful or you savor the things of men. And why does Satan, remember what I said, why does Satan savor the things of men? Why is he mindful of the things of men? Because every man thinks his own way is what? Right. And he wants them to think that. He wants them to think that their way's right. Because if he can keep them thinking that there's right, their way's right, where does that way lead? To death and deception. It's what he wants to do. And there's so many different tactics that he uses and why it's so important for us to put on the full armor of God because without the armor of God, we can't overcome the schemes and the wiles of the devil. And we think like the big sins that are lying, cheating, stealing, murder, and all those types of things are the only things Satan traps us in. But he traps us, he can trap us in all kinds of things. It's the little things that normally hinder people. And it goes back to our way of thinking. We think our way is right. And if we don't have something to cling to, a standard to go by, we're going to be talking with people and trying to help people who think their way's right. And all we're doing is that we're the decoy. But somebody else is using what is natural, our flesh, to actually mislead and manipulate and deceive people. We're trying and really have an objective. You don't, Peter was really wanting to help the Lord. Amen. Matthew, go back to Matthew real quick. Peter had no bad motive in what he was doing. He was just doing what was natural to him. And what is natural to him? He wanted to protect Jesus. He was his friend. That's all he was doing. And that's a natural thing. Matthew 16 and verse number 21, the Scripture says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and that he must suffer many things 
and that the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, he must be killed and be raised the third day. Well, Peter heard that. And Peter's natural response is, no, you don't have to do that. There's no legitimate reason for you to have to put yourself in that position. That's natural. Wouldn't you, if you saw somebody going in harm's way and you didn't know any other, any better way, wouldn't you try to avoid them from doing that? Well, that's all Peter was doing. But remember, Peter was the decoy. Somebody was lurking in the, in the sidelines, covered up deceptively. Do you think Peter knew Satan was around? Do you think the other disciples knew at the time that Satan was, was at work? Don't think he knew. Because had he known, Peter wouldn't have said what he said. But Peter spoke, and when he spoke, Jesus attributed that message directly from Satan himself to do what? To distract Peter, I mean distract, distract Jesus from suffering. And that's why he says it the way he says it. He says in verse number 22, what did Peter do to him? He rebuked him. What does the word rebuke mean? He put it in his mind. He tried to put it in the mind of Jesus. How did he try to put it in his mind? He tried to correct him. What was he trying to put in his mind? To rethink this. What was he doing when he tried to get him to rethink it? He was trying to get him to feel sorry for himself, to pity himself. You don't have to go through this. That's all he was doing, trying to help him pity himself. But Peter was just a decoy. It was the enemy who was attempting to, to attack Jesus in the flesh and by way of attacking Jesus in the flesh to make Jesus feel sorry for himself. But what did Jesus say? He recognized the threat. He recognized the attack. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are mindful of the things of God, but the things, not of God, but the things of men. And immediately, in verse 24, then Jesus looked and said to his disciples, if anyone, doesn't matter who they are, desires to come after me, that is, who wants to follow me into this suffering, into this rejection, into this lifestyle, let him first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his fathers with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So here we are, because every man thinks his own way is pure. Satan knows that, and it's a natural thing. It's the way we're wired. So he's going to use people, and I don't want to be used by him to cripple other people that God brings in my life. And, and instead of showing them compassion and bringing hope to the situation and trying to help them see it in a different light, I don't want to be somebody who makes them feel sorry about where they are in life. 
Because when I do, I'm doing no different than what the enemy did. I'm trying, I'm just, I'm, I'm a decoy, and Satan's using me to cripple people in the journey. That's important for us to recognize. Chris was sharing with me a testimony afterwards, and he said, man, when you shared that this morning, I saw it, because this past week, he was in a very similar situation and went to several people, and they tried to help him. They had every, they had every pure motive, more than likely, to bless him, to help him. But the things they shared with him didn't actually help him. It just created confusion for him and actually crippled him. And it began to make you look to yourself and look at the circumstances rather than trusting in the Lord. And that, that's important for us. Turn to Luke chapter 10 real quick. Luke chapter 10. Let me show you what I mentioned this morning so you'll see how this applies. This morning I also illustrated it out of... Um, Second Kings chapter 4 with the Shunammite woman. Remember that story? It is well. The little boy had died and she went to the prophet. And she never encountered people on the road. And when she did, she didn't try to explain her story to them. She didn't try to explain what was going on. What did she tell anybody and everybody that asked her how things were going? What did she say? All is well. It is well. Why? Because there's no doubt that if she would have told people what was going on in her life, what would they have done to her? They would have sympathized with her. And when they begin to sympathize with her and begin to try to connect with her and relate to her, what they naturally would have done was try to help her and the way they think to help her because they think their way's right in helping her was to make her pity herself and feel sorry about what just took place in her life. She didn't. What she did is that she just said it as well. And she took it to God. She brought it to Him. She brought it to Him. And when she brought it to Him, the first thing the prophet does is sends the man, his servant, and then they follow and he tells them, do not greet anybody in the road. Don't stop and talk to them. And it wasn't a matter of time's sake. As much it was a matter of don't let anybody trip you up. If you try to explain this to people, what you're going through right now and what's going on in your life, you try to explain it. Their natural response is to sympathize with you. That That's the way they've been hardwired. That's what they should do. They're supposed to. But the problem is, is that when you when they when they're not in the situation with you, and they're not in the test with you, and they don't understand what's going on around you and with you, they're going to let, they're going to get you to focus in on yourself and the problems with the circumstance, and they're going to create doubt. And you're going to begin to, that's how, they're just a decoy. The enemy wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt His goodness. He wants you to doubt His faithfulness. He wants you to doubt the fact that as we just saying, didn't He promise He'll never leave us, nor? We were just singing that, right? So no matter how bad a situation is, he promises when we set our love upon him, he goes in the trouble with us. Amen? So we don't have to doubt if he's with us or if he's abandoned us or he's left us to ourselves. God is faithful and we can trust him. Even if things don't turn out the way we thought they were going to turn out, he is always good. But if you let the wrong people give you the wrong advice in their effort to attempt to help you, they'll just be the decoy, but the enemy is trying to cause you to question 
and doubt God. And we don't need to do that either to people. We've got to recognize that. But look in Luke 10. Looking about verse number... I'm going to start reading in verse number 2. He told them that the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send out laborers into the harvest. That's, a, that's something that we need to be praying about. Amen. The harvest is plentiful. We just need more laborers to be thrust out into the harvest. That would include us, and we need to be praying about that. He says in verse number 3, I want you to go your way, and behold, you need to see this before you go. I'm going to send you out as lambs, as sheep among wolves. You've got to recognize what you're entering into. He told them up front what they would be facing. Now he said, carry neither money, bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and do what? And greet no one by the way. Don't greet anybody on the road. Now there's a time later that he tells them to take money with them and he lets them take a sword with them and he lets them take things but initially what what was he teaching them why did he say don't take any money don't take any extra clothes don't take anything like that you know what he was teaching them god is enough you can trust him and it goes exactly with the thought process that's why he's saying don't entertain people in the highways and byways of life why because the first thing they're going to do is they're going to try to they're going to try to distract you from trusting that God is enough. They're going to try to get you to look into what are you doing? Are you crazy? I mean, th th the same Jesus that they've been talking about doing this that that all the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and everybody else been warning us to stay away from. And they're going to want to enter in and bring doubt. He said, "You go to that city. Don't entertain anybody. Just like." Elisha told Gehazi, don't talk to anybody. When you greet people on the road, if they say something to you, don't even answer them. Don't even stop for one minute and talk to them. Keep on going. Why? Bystanders in life will only trip you up from trusting the Lord. They will not help you look unto him. And that's important for us. We sometimes feel like, we find somebody, and we, we tell them our life story, and then we listen to them, and before you know it, they are tempting to, for you to feel sorry for yourself or what you're going through and why you went through that, and you didn't deserve this, and people ought to not be treating you that way, and those types of things. And what are to do, instead of actually helping us, they think they're helping us, it gets our eyes off the Lord. I want to tell you, there's no better place in the world than having your eyes on Jesus. You get your eyes on yourself, and you get your eyes on your circumstances, and you take your eyes off Jesus, you head it down the wrong path every time. And what God's teaching us and what he's always taught us is that how we help people most is we help them look unto the Lord. We help them look unto him. Don't greet anybody on the highway. Go to the city. And when you knock on a door and you find a place that the peace of God is resting upon it, somebody who's going to be able to connect with you. And the peace of God is only, only given to those that what? Trust the Lord. What does Isaiah 26.3 say? 
you, God, shall keep them in perfect peace whose mind is fixed or stayed on you. Why? Why is their mind fixed on you? Because they trust in you. And what do you do for them? Your peace is upon their life. So when you come to a city and you find a group of people, you find a house that are looking to me and they trust in me, that's where you stay. That's where you stay. And if you find somebody else in that city that that has more money and more things, don't go hang out. Don't don't leave the people that you started with. Stay there as long as in that city. Why? Because you'll start depending on things. And you'll start thinking you're deserving things. And this could be easier and better for you. And if you're not careful, what you're going to do is you're going to look to things and you're going to start feeling sorry for yourself and you're not going to fulfill the mission that I've sent you on. That's important. He's teaching them how to trust him, that he is enough, that he is enough. And that's what we want to help people when we help them in life, that Jesus is enough. He's enough. We can love on them. We can have compassion toward them. We can show them kindness. We can pity them in their condition, but we cannot make them or attempt to make them pity themselves. Are you with me? God never tells us anywhere in the scriptures to pity ourselves. He always teaches us to look unto him. And when we help somebody feel sorry for where they are in life, we're actually not helping them. We may feel like it. We may sense that we are. But all we're doing is hurting them. And there's no greater example than Jesus himself. I mentioned it this morning. I just asked y'all, have y'all seen anywhere as you've been reading through Matthew's gospel or you've looked over in Luke or, or Mark or John, was there any one time that Jesus helped people in the most difficult and dire straits of life? Did he ever make anybody or attempt to make anybody feel sorry about where they were at and what they were doing? Did, did, did you read anything like that? No, he always brought hope. He always brought an answer, and he always taught them to look to the Father. He never focused on the condition of their circumstance so that they would focus on the condition of it. He always focused on the answer out, how you can get out, how you can trust, how you can put faith in me, how you can heed my word and it will set you free. Never one time did he make people feel sorry for where they were or what was going on in their life. He saw through that and he helped them. Amen? Why? Because if he would have ever felt sorry for himself, he would have never went to the cross. He would have got distracted, and he, he wouldn't have been without sin, but he, he, he denied himself. And that's what we find even in the garden. Remember when he was in the garden? And he said, if this cup can pass over me, but he said, not my will, but thine be done, O God. You see, Paul talks about it in Acts chapter 20. Said every place I go, people have been telling me, don't go because there's going to be problems at Jerusalem. Don't go. There's chains and bonds are waiting for you. And what did he say? None of these things move me because I don't count my life dear to myself. That I may finish the course, the race, and the ministry that God's given to me. If I focus in on that and start feeling sorry for myself, I won't be able to finish what he sent me to do. I'm going to get tripped up. We find that in the book of First um, Corinthians. Excuse me, Second Corinthians. Look at it. This is the answer for us. This is how this helps us. 
with this. Second Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one. Let's just start reading verse number three. Remember I told you before that this little section of scripture is applicable in any situation in life. You can use it for any time you counsel them with people. Because it covers it covers everything. He says in verse number three Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of what? The Father of mercies and the God of... It's impossible for a man to comfort himself when he pities himself. If he does, it's only a temporary thing. It's not lasting. But God is the God of all comfort. He wants to comfort us. He uses his people to do that. He uses his word to do it. But we can't do it by pitying ourselves. Now watch how this unfolds. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all our what? Tribulation. The word tribulation means trouble, means affliction. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind or type of trouble. Doesn't matter what they've been through or going through. You don't necessarily have to go through the same thing they went through to help them. How do you do it? You help them with the same kind of comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The issue is not the trouble. The issue, the, 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 the answer is how did God comfort you? What did he do with you? That's why he doesn't highlight any kind of trouble. He doesn't specify or, or say that somebody's lost a spouse or lost a child. Or, or anything like that. He just says any kind of trouble. The, the, the thing about it is this. Is that it doesn't matter what they've gone through. Or what you've gone through. What matter is. Is that God comforted you. In whatever trouble you went through. How did he do it? Well the first thing is. He didn't. If he comforted you. He surely didn't make you feel sorry for yourself. What he did was. He enraptured your heart and affection toward him. And his presence became a reality to you. And his promises became what you were clinging to. And he gave you victory and triumph and hope. Not that he would keep me from things, but he would deliver me through them in life. And I can lean on him. And that's how we comfort people. We get, our, get them to help them put their eyes on the Lord. He says in verse 5, For as the sufferings... Of Christ, as Christ said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to go through this. As his sufferings abound in us, so our consolation, our comfort also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. You know, Paul just said it doesn't matter if we're being comforted by God or if we're being uh, troubled by him through things in life. Everything is used to bring comfort and salvation to other people. God just wants us to share about our journey with him. Amen. Whether we're being, we're in the good times or we're the bad times. Whether things look good or don't look good, are good or not good, whether we're being comforted and we are in a good place or whether we are in a hard place, 
The key is, is his presence. And that's what he wants us to use because it's going to bless other people. He wants us to share the journey with him. That's what's going to help people. And then he goes on to say, verse 7, And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you'll be partakers of the consolation. Did you, did, do you notice, did he ever say, you need, to, you need to start feeling sorry for yourself and that's going to help you? He didn't, he didn't he, it's not even hinted toward, is it? Where's the help going to come from? From who? From the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's where the help comes from. And the help is going to come through his people who have been comforted and delivered by God himself. It's a consistent process of going through things that God uses in our life. Now watch. Paul says in verse 8, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us when we was in Asia. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. For what reason? That we should not what? Trust in ourselves. But we're to trust in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death. And does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. For the gift granted to us through many. What he just said was is that we had to come to the place where we denounced our own right. We had to die to self. And it was in the dying of self where we found the victory. Because it's only, it's only those who die to self that God raises from the dead. You can't raise anything that ain't dead, amen? So they had, they had to have that sentence of death. Because as long as they were trusting and pity themselves, they stayed pressed down beyond measure. They couldn't get out of it. But it is when they had a sentence of death in themselves and looked unto the Lord in this, that they recognize it's God who raises up the dead. And when he raises up the dead, he gives us victory to go through the triumphs. And we realize that whether we are being comforted or we're going through trouble in life, it's God who raises the dead that works through us to bring comfort and deliverance to everybody we come in contact with. Not that we trust ourselves, not that we pity ourselves, but that we looked unto him. And when we looked unto him, that's where we found our hope. That's where we found our victory. That's where we found the power to go through the hard things we were going through. And it's not when we, we felt sorry for ourselves, but when we looked unto him. And that's our objective, to be compassionate where people are, to help them but not help them feel sorry for themselves. Help them look to Jesus. Because if we're not careful, we'll over-sympathize with them as a bystander. Because you know it. I mean, there's a lot of people. Y'all come across people that share things with you that you really don't know and you don't know all the circumstances about their life. And you feel obligated to help them. And if you're not careful, you, can, you, you feel like you help them because you feel it's right to you. 
But when you give them something, or I give them something, it may have not been much of a help. It may have just been a hindrance to them more than anything. Might have just confused them. Because there's a time, matter of fact, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Let me, let me show you how this works. Let me illustrate it this way too. We've all done this because we do not. It's a natural thing not to want to see people go through trouble. I mean, it's, it's, it's natural. We want to. God put it in us to pity people, to want to see people not being all kind of bound up in trouble, especially people that we love. And think about how many times we prayed for people to come out of things that God put them in for a reason. God allowed to happen for a reason. He's refining them. He's wanting to show them comfort. He's wanting to show them great deliverance. So he put them in a bad situation to show his power and his presence. But what we've done is that we start praying, God, would you take this from them when God actually gave it to them with purpose. And we start praying because we, we in the natural, we become the decoy. And the enemy uses the natural to trip us up rather than being sensitive to God's spirit and saying, God, teach me how to pray with wisdom so that I pray according to your will. I don't want to pray for anything that's not going to be according to your will, and I missed this. So look in Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1 says, looking about verse number 20-something, 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. Now, what do you get a visual image there? The way that is descriptive. Notice, outside, open squares, the concourses, and the gates. What does that describe to you? Y'all help me. What's the image you get? It's, it's places, but what kind of places? Where people are. What's that? Yeah, it, but it's places. That's the picture. It's places where people gather. It's places where people gather. So what does that tell me? That tells me that wisdom cries out through who? Through people, people that are rightly related or connected to the Lord. You and I, when we are right with God as a mouthpiece for him, God's wisdom speaks through us. And it speaks through us to help people. Wisdom comes from above, amen. But we, as the wells of salvation, the wells of grace, God's spirit flows through us. What does John say? That out of their belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water, which he spoke of, of the Holy Spirit. That is saying that we, as the believer and the new creature in Christ, that is rightly related and connected in an intimacy and fellowship with the Lord, part of the fruitfulness that happens in our life, the spiritual gifts that God gives us, wisdom flows out of us. To bless people in the gathering places. Because I know you hadn't been walking down the street before and, and, and there was an intercom that went over every time you, um, that an intercom saying, um, uh, Chris Myers, don't go that away. Y'all ever hear that? 
Danny Simon changed them brakes out. You see, we, but how does it happen? We meet people on the job and where people gather and we look at people and people share a word with us, a word of wisdom, and we learn from one another that way. But notice what happens when we don't pay attention to that kind of wisdom when God wants them to speak to us. He says, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools take no hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke, and surely I'll pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. And because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Wisdom comes to a point and says, in the images of what God says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, Notice, those who refuse me will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will do well safely and will be secure without fear of evil. There comes time in our life when there's been somebody that we've been around, work with, live around, whatever it may be, that kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting wisdom. And then they find themselves in a very hard place. And they go to the people who think they can help them, who portrayed that wisdom, and they come to ask help. Can you help me? Can you give a word to me? But God doesn't give us a word to give to them. And if we're not careful and we lean on the flesh instead of leaning on the Lord, we'll give them a word because we pity them where they are, but we're operating in the flesh and not from the Lord because there's sometimes when God says, I don't have a word for them. And we have to do, as Chris pointed out, Man, I don't have anything. If, if I shared something with you, I'd be disobedient because I don't, I don't know what to tell you in this situation. And there's times when God shuts it off and says, no, they're going to have to deal with this. And thankfully, he comes through it with us in time and, and he brings us. But, it, but sometimes we've got to eat the fruit of our own fancy before he does that. And that's a situation, as he's talking about there, that could have easily been. There's been times in the past where, where this individual fellow kept rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. Now he's in a very hard place, and he wants help. And he seeks it, but God doesn't give it when he thought all he had to do is ask for it in his own timing, in his own way. And God says, no, we respond to him when the invitation is given. There comes a point in time when God says, you've rejected me one too many times. And even though you seek it and you diligently want it and desire to have it, I won't pour it out on you because you didn't seek it when I was inviting you to take it. That's hard, isn't it? See, we get in a situation, our natural inclination, we want to pity somebody in that. 
We want to make them feel sorry for where they are, but we're not actually helping them. What we do is we, we turn and trust the Lord and ask him to help us so that when we do have a word for somebody, we can give it away. And when we don't, the best thing we can do is keep our mouth shut and let people know we'll be praying for them and we just don't have an answer for this situation at this time. Amen? We just don't want to help people feel sorry for where they are in life. Because I want to tell you, there's nobody in too bad of a shape that God can't help out. Amen? That he can't help out. And we don't want to create doubt and distrust and make them doubt the things that God's brought in their life. We want to help them just look to him, and he will help us. I don't want to be an old decoy for the enemy. Amen? I don't want to be an old decoy that Satan uses to hinder people in a simple thing, a natural thing, feeling sorry for ourselves. It don't work. Got to help them look to Jesus. Anybody have anything you want to add? Say, share, give away. Those are hard truths, there's no doubt. You can share them with even mature, wise people, and they still have to. I mean, you got to think about and ponder these things, especially when it's personal, especially when it's got somebody in your life going through something really hard, and the natural inclination is to, Make them pity where they are in life because you don't have an answer. It's tough. It's hard, no doubt. But we, we, we deal with hard things because we have a Redeemer who promises to deliver. And we keep pressing on. Amen? Amen. Thank